Hello and welcome to the Barside Podcast, the only podcast that helps you confidently combine your love of sports and maybe the consumption of some alcoholic beverages. I'm your host, Brian, the bartender, a longtime bartender and voiceover artist. Uh, we're recording live today from Leo Public House on the north side. Joining us today on our maiden voyage, the man with the plan, the only guy that had his credit card on file here at the pub, it's Mr. Dan Kinkersky. Brian, uh, I love doing this. I appreciate you. Nice to see Leo in the background, too. Great place. Oh, we appreciate you, too. Always a good time when when you're hanging out. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Is there a drink in your hand yet, or is it a little too early? Oh, no, 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 no. There's, there's no drinking on, uh, on work days. Okay. Work nights after work, yeah, uh, you know. Fair you enough. You've made enough. me a few. It's my day off, so um, I'm starting early. But There uh, you go. Yeah, my good friends at the Common Heart, the local band, they did a collaboration with Grist House, so I gotta say how good this beer is. Oh, I love Grist House, too. It's, such, oh, yeah. it's a, like the hidden gem. I mean, it's a there's so spot. many micro-brews and so many little spots uh, around the city now, there used to be like five, and those were like the the special ones. Now there's like fifty. Yes, but Grist House really just, the they, they do amazing. it right. We're going to be taking some bar questions later today. We're focusing on hockey. I know you've had a long week of practices and uh, preseason games, but first let's start with an early memory. What is an early memory you had that forged your love of watching hockey? Is there something you know that's that you remember? You know that's kind of an interesting question. You're, you're kind of catching me off guard out of the shoot here, Brian. You know, uh, (laughs) uh, I would have been like seven, eight years old when Mario Lemieux was drafted. And so there was this entire kind of citywide curiosity. What the hell's hockey? Mm -hmm. Who's this Mario Lemieux guy? Or actually, in second grade, we got in a fight, believe it or not. Um, my friend Tony insisted, my dad says it's Lemukes. There's an X on the end of it. Uh, that, that, that carried for years. But what Mario could do with the puck and being a little kid watching those things. And, you know, I, I remember being excited by the, like, 82-83 Penguins when they really stunk beating the New York Islanders with Bossy and Trottier and Potvin and Billy Smith. And, and I remember like running to my dad, the Penguins are winning six to three. And he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, but, but Mario was the guy that really kind of brought it all home on, you know, what hockey is and what it means and, and what it can be. For me, it was the uh, addition of Paul Coffey. Lemieux was great. Sure, it was a revelation to have that kind of play on your team. But when they added coffee, I feel like that's when it got serious. They're like, oh, wait, it's not just one guy on this team anymore. It's, it's now a full competitor. And, uh, oh, that was a big deal, yeah, because that was the first actual NHL player they acquired. I mean, yeah. real NHL player, not, you know, some of these secondary guys. That was a big and, deal. And they got Tom Barrasso in, like, the same time period. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, so this is real hockey. This is fun. And it was about that time watching hockey with my dad growing up when he would uh, hear the phone ring and you could see he was visibly upset because everyone knew that that was time to watch the game. So uh, he'd go over and answer the phone, wouldn't even (laughs) ask who it was, answer and say, the game's on, and just hang up on whoever it was. It was a memory I'll never forget. And I was like, oh yeah, this is is pretty important. I like it. Well, let's get into it then. The uh, Penguins are getting the band back together. Carter, Rust. Raquel, DeSmith, Malkin, even Danton Heinen, they all resigned. 
Was this the plan the whole time, or did these pieces just kind of fall into place as the uh, offseason just went on? Uh, I know Dave Molinari wrote about this, but like, let's hear what you have to say on it. Yeah, um, my better half, Dave Molinari, kind of did dive into this a little bit. Um, I, I, I can't say it was a plan by the Penguins. The word I would use would be hope. You hope you can get the core players back. But I don't think there was an expectation that they would they would get there, right? I mean, look, uh, free agency started, I think, Tuesday at noon. Monday around noon, 1 o'clock, Dave reported that Malkin was going to free agency or going to test free agency. And then eight hours later, you know, I think both sides probably saw Dave's story, quite frankly, and the reality really hit home. Maybe I'm giving Dave a little too much credit. He would say so. But I think the, the, the true reality hit. And I think both sides stared into the abyss and said, we want to stay together. And um, so it wasn't a plan, but, but a hope. And then with Brian Rust's discount AAV, at least, you know, for now, and Malkin's AAV, you know, um, you can afford a Ricard Raquel, who actually signed before Malkin mm-hmm. because they more or less said, OK, we're not going to lose this guy for Sidney Crosby and whoever our second line center is. And and then th- I think things just began to fall into place. Even with Danton Heinen, you looked around at, at all the players available and you're like, well, this guy scored 18, 19 goals for us. He was a good third line sniper, provides some offense from the bottom. So let's let's do it at a discount uh, rate. Not many 18 goal scorers cost a million bucks. Absolutely. So Not when you get them. one, you, you keep it. And uh, a lot of his goals were pretty clutch, and if I remember correctly from last season. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a pretty key player to keep. Um, but <laughs> yeah. poor Evan Rodriguez, he gets left out of this whole situation. He has to settle for signing with the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. I know he's going to be in competition for that second-line center. He's no Nazem Kadri, and that's going to be a lot of pressure for a guy that's highly inconsistent like he is. You know, that's going to be a very interesting thing. I like Evan very much as a player, a really good guy to deal with, although in his most of his Penguins tenure, we were actually out of the locker room, so I didn't really get a chance to to have too many chats with him, you know, off of the microphone or off of Zoom, which was how most of our uh, interviews were done. Uh, he seems to be a player who rises to the occasion, and the, the Penguins needed him... In the first half of last season, he was fantastic. The Penguins stopped needing him in the second half. He kind of got shuffled around. He felt maybe a little bit unimportant, and his game suffered. Down the stretch, the Penguins, you know, look into the playoffs, and in the playoffs, Rodriguez soared again. You know, he scored, what, three goals against the Rangers. So, uh, no, he's no Nazem Kadri. That's a, that's a stretch. But for $2 million bucks, the Avalanche did pretty well. The one thing I'm curious about, and, and Brian, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever know this, right? Um, the, the story came out that Evan turned down a three-year, $10.5 million deal from someone because his agent said, oh, you'll get more, you'll get more. Were the Penguins kind of in that ballpark and then pulled back and said, okay, no, can't do it. And is that the reason that they maybe signed... Danton Heinen and Josh Archibald and some of these other guys 
when they could have had Rodriguez because they didn't realize Rodriguez's price would fall to two million bucks in mid-September. Yeah, he could have been a valuable addition. Definitely more important, I think, than Josh Archibald. But we'll we'll take <laughs> certainly more offense, right? There's absolutely Archibald can skate, and I know that fits uh, Sullivan's system to an extent. But there are definitely a lack of hands there. Well, yeah, you know what though? I, I think we often forget and. Sullivan reminded us yesterday when we were talking about uh, Drew O'Connor, the things that O'Connor has to work on to get to the NHL in a consistent capacity are things like penalty killing and some of the, uh, you know, the, the secondary things. As a player, O'Connor is an NHL guy. It's fitting the team roles. And, you know, so would Archibald have um, been more valuable than Rodriguez in, you know, in that vacuum? I, I wonder if, if Hextall had the choice of Erod for two or Archibald for 900, knowing that Archibald kills penalties and plays that fourth line role with, you know, a bit more enthusiasm, maybe, and I, and I don't want to, you know, criticize Rodriguez in the least, but maybe um, Archibald fits the role or the needs a little better. That makes sense. And I think Drew O'Connor has shown uh, a progression over the last couple seasons that, um, I think fits the team well and makes him uh, Evan Rodriguez expendable also. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I mean, they're doing a very good job, Brian, of of putting the puzzle together. Uh, I, I think Hextall has largely been undefeated. Now, I don't know if I like making Latang and Malkin's contracts a thirty-five plus when they could have just paid them the same money without signing bonuses. That's what made it a 35-plus contract that you really can't get out from. Little details like that, uh, I, I wasn't so crazy about this offseason. I, I also wondered a bit about Kasperi Kapanen, giving him a two-year contract over $3 million. That was <clears throat> That was a little bit interesting to me. And I think if there was one mistake in the offseason, that's probably it. But by the same token, when you look at the, the puzzle as a whole... If Kapanen returns to Kasperi Kapanen form, uh, it's a really good team. I think my biggest question mark when it comes to the offseason was Casey DeSmith. He hasn't been healthy for the playoffs in two straight seasons. Uh, these are two series that they easily could have won with even average goaltending. Uh, was it in the plan to bring him back, or is this just a sign of a very, very thin goaltender market? Yes, to all of the above, right? Um, I think... I think every general manager kind of, if you want to visualize it, uh, kind of stretches out the chain and looks for the weak links. And then you start to replace those weak links as, you know, as priorities go. Uh, The goaltending market was paper thin. Mm -hmm. I mean, teams were scratching for kind of, you know, mediocre starting goalies. There were certainly no backups on the market in the Penguins price range. That was, you know, kind of going to the car dealership with eight bucks in your pocket and bad credit. You're, <laughs> you're just not going to get too much there. Um, was a trade possible? You know, we, we know that some teams were kicking tires on Jason Zucker. Um, one Metro division team wanted a first round pick with Zucker to make the deal and Hextall basically said thanks but no thanks Mm -hmm. and you know there were some others you know Marcus Pedersen's name 
obviously popped up in, in trade rumors. And uh, there was some wonder if, uh, you know, he was part of that original Jeff Petrie uh, trade with Montreal. You know, um, all of that said, you know, you wonder if there was a backup goaltender coming back to the Penguins in some discussions or if they, they kicked those tires or, or investigated that possibility. But um, obviously teams wanted a lot to accept salaries. Sorry, my voice is going here a little bit. And um, you know, teams wanted a lot back to accept a salary. And then, then the free agent market was just um, to be kind barren. Well, let's talk about Jeff Petrie then. Uh, he definitely, at this point, is an upgrade over Mike Matheson. But there's got to be some concern over decline negating that. He's 34 now, soon to be 35 in December. How long can we expect Petrie to outperform where Matheson was last season? You know, I liked Mike Matheson a lot. Um, you know, I don't know that... I'll, 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 I'll pick at you a little bit, Brian. You just don't uh, make my drink too strong next time. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't think we should be off. comparing Matheson and Petrie directly because one's a left sider, one's a right sider. I think the, the appropriate conversation is comparing Jeff Petrie to John Marino, mm. in which case, and I have to be careful. <laughs> um, I have offended when talking about this in the past. I've offended some, some folks near the organization. Uh, when I say it's a huge upgrade, I mean, mm. Jeff Petrie is, you know, one of the best in the league as number two, number three defenseman. And that's no knock on John Marino. It's just how good Jeff Petrie is. So when you pair him with Marcus Pedersen, I think the second pairing, uh, you know, as an entity goes much higher than it was with Marino and Matheson. I liked Matheson, but um, yeah. Jeff Petrie really adds a lot to this team, and we've been seeing just how strong he is in training camp. Now, circling back to your original question, you can take a drink because I'm going to be long-winded. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> no complaints here. Yeah, big wrist house, a little, a little oh, yeah. there. Magical. Um, I think we've seen defensemen play to 37, 38, 39 years old. Vegas has a couple of them who are still going strong. Chris Letang, no signs of, of slowing down. Uh, you know, Petrie doesn't play that hard net front game where he takes a beating, mm. right? So, so three years, you know, you might see a little slippage in a couple of years, but for the moment, no, I don't have any concerns. That seems to give a little optimism for the Penguins. Uh, the addition of Petrie puts the average age of the team right at pretty much 30 years old. I tried to find a relevant comparison of a team that had success with that kind of average age, and the only one I found was the 2002 Detroit Red Wings. They had a <laughs> 41-year-old Igor Larionov, a 40-year-old Chris Chelios, and who just happens to be one of Crosby's idols. Steve Eiserman was 36 at the time, uh, just a year older than Crosby is now. Uh, is this a relevant uh, comparison, or is this pre-salary cap? Uh, it was a different game back then. Uh, well, obviously, different uh, era, different time, different kind of hockey, quite frankly. The skating was wildly different, right, back mm -hmm. in 2002 compared to now. I, I think if you want to take one thing from that, Mr. Muha, Mr. Brian, the bartender, mm. Mr. going to start giving me free drinks. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that. Um, I think if you want to take one thing from it, it's that the uh, mid-30s guys can, in fact, weather a brutal and bruising 
Stanley Cup playoffs that they can get to the end without the wheels falling off. And I think mm-hmm. uh, me and, and you know, I know a lot of people wonder, can you know, Crosby and Malkin, Latang get into June hockey and be good enough? You know, where at that age, do you wear down too much? So t- if you want to take anything from it, take the fact that it can be done. Absolutely. And uh, we, we've seen them compete well the last couple seasons in the playoffs, although it didn't work out. And like we said, goaltending issues aside, they, uh, they still have it. Salary cap issues abound in the NHL. Yeah. I, last I counted, there were 13 teams over the salary cap, plus five more with only uh, within one million of being there. Tampa leads the way at about seven million over. Uh, the Penguins are just under a million over. I don't see a flurry of trades happening in order to remedy this. Will we just see a number of players stamp coast before the season starts to kind of save this, or um, is there going to be another answer? Well, you are going to see a lot of teams using the LTIR uh, very shortly. You know, um, I didn't know this. I don't know that a lot of people publicly knew it. You would assume all the bean counters in the 32 NHL teams knew it that there was a little bit of a difference if you put a guy on LTIR before training camp starts versus putting him on the injured list after training camp starts. So there was a benefit to keeping guys, you know, on the active roster in, into, um, into camp. Uh, you know, you're going to see some teams like Washington, for example. Nick Backstrom and Tom Wilson are out months. Backstrom might be done forever, but Tom Wilson's coming back somewhere between November and January, right? So they will eventually have to get under the cap. And, and, and the Penguins have to do the same. The Penguins are going to limbo under the cap because I don't think any trades are really possible. I think everybody's talking, right? And it, but it's a game of musical chairs, and all the chairs are taken. Mm-hmm. Unless you're willing to really pay through the nose and cough up a first-round pick in order to, to get it done... Uh, the Penguins are going to have to send a couple of guys to Wilkes-Barre that they might not otherwise want to. And, and I think Drew, uh, you know, I think that's where training camp has, has come into play. We've seen Ty Smith getting all of the reps uh, as that sixth defenseman with Jan Ruda, whereas P.O. Joseph, uh, Mark Friedman seem to be relegated to, you know, picking up leftover ice time. I, I think you're going to see um, those two guys, in fact, uh, you know, at least one of them anyway, sent to Wilkes-Barre, which is a, you know, a cap savings. And you'll see uh, probably Drew O'Connor sent to Wilkes-Barre. There's, I think that just gets them under the cap, like by thousands of dollars, mm. like literally, you know, not enough to buy a free lunch, but just mm. enough to start on opening night. If they send, you know, somebody else down to Wilkes-Barre, somebody else like, like a Josh Archibald, who has a nine hundred thousand dollar salary instead of a seven fifty, then they have like a whopping two hundred thousand dollars of cap space. So uh, definitely, yeah, don't be tightrope. looking for a, a lot of movement. Definitely walking that tightrope. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how they play that out. My last hockey related question here: uh, the Mike Sullivan extension now extended through twenty twenty seven, I believe. Um, yeah, six or seven without looking uh, here. Yeah. From the bar side of this perspective, uh, slowly transitioning to that, um, I've heard some interesting conspiracy theories about why they decided now to add on these three extra years. And uh, I don't oh, believe conspiracy any of them. theories. I oh, want to yeah. hear these. Oh yeah, 
just the fans complaining, oh, well, the new ownership group's from Boston. Mike Sullivan's from Boston. That's, they want to keep their guy. And it's, uh, so um, I, I hear some interesting things about why people think that this um, exchange happened, but I really think it's just they just want to instill confidence in him, and there's no reason not to at this point. Well, I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, um, the next negative thing about Mike Sullivan in terms of coaching, in terms of his hold on the organization, in terms of his leadership, first negative thing, or the next negative thing would, would in fact be the first that I've heard. You know, um, they, they, they've got their guy, and there's no reason to kind of get to the point where in two or three years when hockey revenues keep going up and up and up and coaches keep getting more and more and more. Well, you know, John Henry is really kind of a brilliant businessman in that sense in, you know, buy now, save money later. Mm -hmm. Go for it. You know, I, I think they, they're, they're comfortable with the relationships between Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Sullivan. You know, uh, the, the players are sticking around. So, you know, in order for the coach to stick around, they better be comfortable with that dynamic. And um, I, I think there's no reason to, to doubt it. All players, you know, get annoyed at their coach and everybody hates their boss from time to time. Uh, let, me, let me tell you about national hockey now. Mm. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, you, you lock them up. I mean, it, it certainly is a departure from formal hockey uh procedures you know when coaches last three years and here we have a team locking up their coach three years in advance or, or two years in advance so, um it, it certainly makes this the mike sullivan organization that's for sure yeah well then let's turn to the bar side now um i asked the bars <coughs> the bar, bar side. side the bar side so uh i asked a few people to submit some questions uh bar related we're gonna have some fun with this if you don't mind sticking around and helping him helping me out answer a few of these um, well, if, yeah, if there's some um, drink questions and cocktail questions, I'm, I'm happy to sample anything that, uh, you know, you need to experiment. Oh, you can be the guinea pig anytime, buddy. No problem. So uh, first off, Ryan asks, what is the dumbest argument that you've seen devolve into a full-on bar fight? Now, Dan, have Ooh. you been involved in a bar fight or seen anything major happen in your bar days? You know, I was watching the uh, 2010 Super Bowl when the Steelers played the Packers. That was 10, right? Yes. Yeah, the I think Richard so. Richard Mendenhall. Fumbled. And whenever, whenever Steelers-Packers Super Bowl, and some guy was cut off, and he got uh, pretty upset. And he actually raised his fist to the bartender and went to punch her. Mm. Uh, I may have I interceded know. and... and um, yeah, I may have put him in a full Nelson and, and twisted to the ground before the bouncers got there and had their fun. Uh, and they explained to me they enjoy their job very much. Don't do that again. <laughs> um, that, that's as close as I've come to a bar fight. That's, uh, that's pretty commendable on your part. We, uh, me as a bartender, I appreciate that, and I'm sure that bartender highly appreciated that. So uh, good on you. But um, I'm going to tell a story. I protect I mean, my people. Thanks. Um, tell a story about the numerous soccer matches I've shown throughout the years and the one happened to be I think an England World Cup match and uh, the one patron was from England and the other one was from Scotland both rooting for the same team but somehow this conversation 
both rooting for the same team, devolved into them almost coming to blows. So um, the one manager stepped forward, master of verbal judo. This is the kind of guy that could walk up to you, put his arm around you and say, hey, why don't we go for a walk? And, then, and the next thing you know, this patron who was trouble is now outside and he doesn't even realize how he got there. Um, we knew these regulars as well. So he kind of walked them outside, eventually took them down to the dive bar, which is just a few doors down and um, somehow managed to get their credit card so that um, like they could bring them back and I could swipe them. I don't know how long it took him to wear the, let themselves wear each other out or whatever, but um, it was uh, definitely an argument that uh, I did not see coming to that. I managed to swipe their cards, give them their credit card receipts, and um, yeah, that was the last I heard of it. That's, <laughs> that's pretty impressive, quite frankly. I mean, I know, I know you soccer people. I, <laughs> uh, I know it can get a little more intense even than Canadians and... Leafs fans going mm. back and forth, the Man U and Liverpool and all of that. So that oh, was pretty impressive it's... to just walk them out, get the card, getting the cards. I that's wish the impressive I had that part. talent. Yeah, I, I would not have handled that so calmly. So I was thankful he was there, and it, it, it worked out well. Uh, the next question nice. comes from Uncle Pittsburgh, and he's asking, is Uncle it gauche? Pittsburgh. Uncle Pittsburgh, longtime regular. Is it gauche to top a Bloody Mary with a Jim's hot dog? Uh, Jim's being a famous hot dog stop, uh, stop in um, West Mifflin, Pleasant Hills area. Pretty famous for what they do. Um, uh, I'll let you go first on that. Good Lord, that sounds awful. I, mean, I, I like a spicy Bloody Mary. Put a Slim Jim in it. But a hot dog? <laughs> Good. I, I, think, I think you're combining two great things there and not getting your full money's worth. Eat the hot dog. What do you, right. Don't put it in the Bloody Mary. If, if you're going to do this, it better be us. Extremely subpar Bloody Mary and a not-so-good hot dog. Because if you're using a good hot dog like a Jim's and you're putting it into a good Bloody Mary, uh, you have your priorities backwards. Um, I think if your Bloody Mary is good enough, you don't need much of a garnish at all. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that's a sin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just sounds awful. Uh, Jamie asks, how do you know when it's time to cut someone off and how do you do it? And this is really funny coming from our friend Jamie. And she's asking me this for a specific reason. And uh, it's because of the way I had done this to her one day. Um, oh, you cut her off. Yeah, yeah. And I meant it in the most lovingly way possible. Longtime friend. Um, good person, but uh, sometimes she just needs a little direction. So um, <laughs> I, I stopped drinking. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I found the best way to do that was uh, she stepped out front. I think it was either to, you know, I don't even, I don't even remember if she smoked. She has to have a cigarette, take a phone call or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we're still open. I mean, it's only like eight or nine o'clock at night and lock the door. So... Uh, <laughs> You just locked yeah. her out? I just locked her out. I mean, at the time, she only lived like a half a block down the street. So I knew she was going to have no trouble getting home. But, you know, with the, uh, you can only use so much verbal judo on somebody when they don't understand why they're being cut off. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jamie and I are still good friends. Just locked cool. the door. Just absolutely locked the door. Everyone in the bar understood. It kind of, uh, kind of resolved itself. Now, did you stand at the door? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. Or did you no, like, run not. back that to the bar? I, 
I wouldn't want to make it seem like I'm taunting or anything like that. You know, like, I just want to say like, okay, well, here's your hint, you know, like, and okay. she dug on the door a couple times. I think she got it and right home. So Robert, that, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Just sometimes you gotta door. do what you gotta I do. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Robert, good regular <laughs> here, Leo. He's like mayor of the North side. He knows everybody. Um, he wants to know, is tequila really the best value for dollar to top shelf ratio? Now, this one, I think, is kind of a trick question. Um, I think there are a lot of tequilas that are $20 and decent, and I think there are a lot of tequilas that are $40 and not so good. So uh, this is just a matter of, like, drink what you enjoy, uh, really, because um, when it comes you know, to tequila... No, I'm going to weigh in here. Okay, uh, Brian, I'm going to weigh in and say it depends on what you're doing that night. Mm. I mean, there are just some nights every now and then they get further and further apart the older and older you get, at least they do for me, where your goal is to get to the finish line. Mm. And I, I think there. tequila might be the best bang for the buck because if your goal is to get to the finish line, you can go with well tequila. It's true. At that point, you're not worrying about tasting it. I mean, your only concern at that point is how you're going to feel the next morning. I mean, so, yeah. Uh, or the next I'm, three days, right? Yeah. Now that my older days, you're like, no, 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 no more. Yeah, I, I have opinions on tequila, how, but in that case, drink what you enjoy. And like like you said, if, yeah. if your goal is to rush to the so-called finish line and get locked out of the pub, then you, uh, <laughs> yeah, you go with the $20 stuff. So for sure. Making me feel old because it's been a long, long time since uh, I've even thought about doing that. Mm. Well, might might be the first week of off season next year that you uh, you consider trying again. So. Let, let's not. I, you know what? I, I think the difference between wisdom and maturity is maturity. You know you're going to hurt the next day. Wisdom is just saying, nah, it's not <laughs> worth it. Right? <laughs> you're a smart man. Yes. Um, something like that. Forrest asks, what is the bar etiquette you appreciate most? So when you walk into a bar, giant tips, uh, you know what, as a bartender, I can't say that. And I'm glad you said that and not me. So, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that's cool. Thank you, Dan. Um, oh, my pleasure, but bar etiquette is something I think that is just learned from experience. So you can tell pretty much as soon as somebody walks into a bar whether they've been to many bars before. And um, I don't think it's just one thing that ever stands out. So if you walk into a bar and you instantly communicate and it's just easy for pretty much any bartender to tell that oh, this person knows what they're doing. They're cool. And I, and I know you're cool, Dan. You, you, I'm not saying you're, you're the bar fly, but I'm saying you're experienced enough and mature enough <laughs> To know how to hold yourself in public. Uh, yeah, you know, look, I think everyone has to go through that phase, right, where they learn how to control themselves in, a, in an establishment that serves alcoholic drinks. I think everybody makes a mistake or two in the beginning. And then you're like, okay, that's, that's not cool. And eh, it helps to have good people around, too. And that's why, you know, I, I know you're filming this at Leo, and uh, I appreciate Leo so much. You know, I've been going there now since you guys not quite opened up. But once I found out you were like the first bar to go uh, to the vaccine, vaccine mm. proof. I'm like, oh, fantastic. Because, look, 
I'm going to hockey games. I had to be very careful with my mm-hmm. job. Going to a place that was also being careful was just uh, a no-brainer. And then I, I kind of fell in love with the place. You guys are all, all so cool. So uh, bar etiquette, I would say, you know, as a, as a customer, it's almost also keeping to your own universe. Mm-hmm. The entire place doesn't need to hear your conversation. The entire place doesn't need to hear your phone call, you talking back to the television or whatever else it might be. You can involve others around you in the conversation if they so choose to participate. Otherwise, leave, leave them alone. There you go. Uh, I say this as the guy who finds the corner of the bar usually and just has a, you know, a drink with, with my sandwich, right? Mm-hmm. Just sometimes leave me alone. I, I don't need to hear about your aunts and uncles gout or you know, <laughs> your, your, your veterinary visit with worms. I don't need to hear about all of this. But we appreciate you, Dan, and thank you for joining us on the maiden voyage today. Always a good time, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you at the bar soon. Save a meatloaf sandwich for me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, sir. Awesome, man. Thank you. No problem.